Right, we're going to turn now to God's Word and we're going to read together Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, Establish the work of our hands. May God bless that reading and our consideration of it to our hearts and minds this morning. Well, if you have your Bibles with me, with you, you can turn to the psalm we read together, Psalm 90. I want to turn our attention uh, to this psalm this morning. It's the only psalm recorded uh, as one of Moses. Of course, we have. His other compositions, he was the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, But this is the only psalm that we have recorded under his name. We have no idea of the context. Possibly it's uh, a contemplation after the death of Aaron or Miriam. Maybe even he's contemplating the end of his own life. Uh, But whatever the context, the psalm is a psalm which is known for its description of the brevity of life. In verses 3 to 6, we have set before us man's frailty. Uh, And verse 3 opens with a reminder of our own creatureliness. It reminds us of those words in Genesis concerning our creation. Verse 3 reads... You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. 
And they they point us back, don't they, to verses like chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 7. And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And then those more solemn words after the sad fall of Adam and Eve in the garden in chapter 3. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And in describing uh, the brevity of life, Moses uses some very vivid pictures as illustrations. He says that uh, our lives are like a flood. Uh, not, not simply our everyday flood, but like a tsunami. Uh, we might today sadly uh, use the earthquake in Turkey and Syria as an illustration. Uh, one moment everything seems so solid. Everything seems so secure. Things are going on as they have always gone on. And the next thing, everything is flattened. Everything is swept away. You sweep them away as with a flood. Secondly, he says, our lives are like our dreams. Dreams can be so real, can't they? They can be so solid. You can wake up in that moment, feel it was really happening. But soon you realize it was but a dream and it's past, it's gone. And another day begins. Or uh, uh, a picture that we are not so familiar with in this country. We're told that uh, our lives are like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. In, in the dry, arid desert lands, uh, a shower of rain can come down on a piece of barren land. And suddenly, suddenly it's covered with green. Uh, in response to the rain, the plants shoot up. But if no more rain comes, if the sun rises in its zenith to its daily heat, that which looks so green by the evening, we're told it fades and it withers and is gone. And that's what Moses says life is like. It's so brief. And yet... That is not seemingly always our experience, is it? Certainly, as we get older, we say time seems to go faster. But a life cut short is always a shock to us, isn't it? Uh, we, we like to speak in terms of people living a long life. And to think back to my, my childhood days in the 1950s, that seems an age away. It was a, a different time. We speak, don't we, of people living long lives and giving years of service, whether it be in the world or in the church. Uh, only this week I heard uh, of the passing of the father of a friend of mine who'd served his church for, for decades. He was 104. The tributes that were given last year to the Queen, firstly at her Platinum Jubilee and then uh, at her death, 
They weren't how short her life had been, but how long it had been, how long her service to her country had been. So why then does Moses write in this way? Well, these verses, of course, verses 3 to 6, are a matter of contrast. They do not stand alone. And Moses surrounds these words with truths which make the brevity of life very real. And the first great truth he confronts us with, we find in verse 2. And that is God's eternal being. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The psalm opens with the title Lord. That's not Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, but it's the title given to God as the sovereign ruler. The sovereign Lord, the one who is above all created things, the one who has all power and authority to rule and reign over all things. From the most distant star to the smallest grain of sand, God is sovereign. And greater still, this one, this one who rules over all, is the only uncreated being. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Before all creation existed, God is. No point, no moment was there when he was not there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons is the eternal, ever-present. He is the self-existent one. He's the only one who needs no help and no support. The very fountain of life is to be found in him. I'm sure like me at times you can be overwhelmed by the vastness of the universe in which we live. I I remember watching a series of programmes on the different planets it was very evolutionary, but the, the pictures and the, the measurements and the size of the universe, it made me tremble to think how small I am in this vast universe. But however immense this universe is, its measurements are beyond our comprehension. It had a beginning and it will have an end. The vastness of the universe is nothing in comparison to the being of God. This universe will one day be rolled up like a scroll, as the New Testament tells us. But God is. No time when he was not. He is beyond the vastness of the universe. He is beyond Time itself, Moses tells us here, doesn't he, of God's relationship to time in verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Stand watch, the guard is told, just for three hours in the night. And quickly it's over and gone. 
A thousand years are like that to God. And if we are honest, we have to say to ourselves, don't we? I do not understand. I cannot grasp this this being, the one who's revealed himself. He's beyond my conceptions. In our very best moments, the being of God, the reality of his eternal existence is beyond our grasp. The self-existent God is the source of all other beings. Without God, nothing else would be. Perhaps Moses, like no other man other than our Lord Jesus Christ, had so strong a sense of God's majesty and God's greatness. He saw, didn't he, something of the glory of God, of his eternal grandeur as he met with God face to face on Mount Sinai. And it's in the light of these immense truths that the God we worship is not an idol of wood or stone. He's not something of man's imagination. But he is the one who is from everlasting and to everlasting. It is in the light of this great truth that Moses says that our lives are so frail. They are so quickly passed. Our lives are indeed but a vapour in comparison to God. But Moses' contemplations do not stop there. And in verses 7 to 11, they take on a more fearful complexion. For in verses 7 to 11, we read of man's sin and God's wrath. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Moses the author of Genesis, not only records uh, our creation, but he also uh, records man's fall. And the inspiration of the Spirit is given this, this account that we now have of all that took place there in the garden. And when Moses writes these words, you return man to dust, he sees surely more than our frailty. He sees the devastating results of man's fall. He sees in those words all the terrible consequences of Adam's sin in the garden. How does our incomprehensible creator now see his creation? For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Paul sums it up himself, doesn't he, in Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The great tragedy of mankind is not simply that our lives are so brief in comparison to God's eternity but rather that those brief lives are lived fully exposed in all their rebellion, 
under the wrath and the anger of a holy God. How long, I wonder, would Adam and Eve and their descendants lived on earth had not sin entered? Would they have entered a greater paradise at some point? Well, we're not told. But this we know, their lives would have been curse-free and joy-filled. But God's curse upon sin has made our lives burdensome. As Moses goes on to tell us in verse 10, uh, verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 and by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. That's, that's life, isn't it? That's a summary of what our lives alike we we draw so so rapidly to a close and we do so under god's anger and none escape now the writer to the hebrews sums it does up doesn't it? it is appointed unto all men to die once and after that the judgment we live by god's grace 70 80 years or more but what a dreadful conclusion Moses comes to in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who lives in the light of those things by nature? We rather live, don't we, as our Lord told us in that parable, like the foolish farmer whose harvests were abundant whose barns got bigger and bigger. And he reached that point where he said, that's enough, take it easy, put your feet up. The rest of your life is secure. And the Lord says he was a fool. But he wasn't a fool because he was forgetting that the price of wheat might collapse. He wasn't a fool because he wasn't taking account of the stock market. He was a fool because he had an immortal soul. We return to dust, but our souls are immortal and God's wrath endures beyond the grave. How solemn then are these words of Moses. But that then thirdly brings us to what I call the enigma, the puzzle of this psalm. In the light of all that Moses writes, how is it that he can begin the psalm with these remarkable words? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. How can this be? Moses is not simply declaring our dependence on God as our creator. Paul, preaching uh, in Athens, says, doesn't he, in him we live and move and have our being. Whether we acknowledge him or not, every breath we breathe comes from his hand. But Moses is saying more than that here. We, we could translate this, uh, this, part, this part of the psalm as, Lord, you have been our refuge. In all generations. 
And so what Moses is saying is that the God that we've sinned against, the God who will judge sin, the God who no longer looks on his creation with pleasure, is the one who can be our refuge. And it is a refuge to all generations. The God against whom we have sinned can be our refuge. That's the wonder of the gospel. It's the wonder of the whole message of the Bible. Moses ends this psalm with various petitions, various prayers. And the first one is one which is vital to us all. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom doesn't lie in the intellectual geniuses of this world. The greatest geniuses, some of them have been fools. But in hearing God's answer to your deepest need and your greatest problem and listening to what God has to say is to get a heart of wisdom. Because the wisdom that comes from God teaches you to view the brevity of your life, not in comparison to somebody who's lived to 104, but in comparison to God and how he sees it. There is no mathematician who can answer this problem. So teach us to number our days. Who knows what a day will bring forth. Again, we've been reminded that, haven't we, so vividly in these past few days. There is only one way for anyone to number their days. It is to live as though this day is your last day. And to live for God so that you will be able to meet him without fear. But then how we need to ask, can we do that? Well, secondly, this wisdom from God will teach you to look away from yourself. First, Moses doesn't give us the whole answer here, but he points us in the right direction, doesn't he, in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that, may, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. In the light of all, he said, how can, we be, how can we rejoice and be glad? Well, it has to do with God's steadfast love. And we need to look beyond the psalm to see the full answer to God's wise uh, solution. For God's steadfast and failing love sent his son into this world. And who can plumb the depths of that? I wonder if we ever really grasp what the incarnation is. Even as believers, we get caught up with all the frivolities of Christmas, don't we? But we celebrate Christmas because the son... For all that we've said about the eternity of God applies to the Father, it applies to the Son, it applies to the Holy Spirit. 
But when we say Christ came into this world, what we are saying is the eternal God, the one from everlasting to everlasting, the one who is unbounded by time, uncreated in his being, the sovereign Lord of all things, he came down and took to himself a human body and dwelt amongst men. Words fail to express what that means. Paul himself could only say, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And and Christians down the ages have tried to grapple with this, haven't they? Wesley struggled. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. But this is where God's love and God's wisdom points us. To the Lord of glory, who took to himself the frailty of human flesh, who lived amongst men free from any sin, and yet he became a curse for us in order to stand in our place, to bear our sin, and to suffer God's wrath in our place. And it is in Jesus Christ alone that we find the answer to this puzzle at the start of Psalm 90. For it is in him alone that we can find a refuge. It is only as we are united to Christ that we find ourselves not only free from the curse, but eternally secure in God. We are safe through all the turmoils of this life, in all the burdens and all the problems that even as believers we share, we can rejoice and be glad all our days because Jesus is mine and I am his. The Old Testament saints saw the gospel in shadows but they believed in the security and the promise of heaven remember what we're told about the patriarchs by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The patriarchs believed it. Paul proclaimed it. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The patriarchs believed it. 
Paul proclaimed it. Our Saviour purchased it. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with myself. So the question this morning is, do you have this heart of wisdom? Do you see your life as God sees it? Have you turned to the only refuge in this storm, the Lord Jesus Christ? For in him alone is life and life eternal. But as we close, can I just uh, say a few words to those of you who do believe? Uh, it's so easy to leave out the, the latter part of this psalm. But as we close, it's worth considering briefly the petitions that Moses makes. So as believers, what do you long for? Do you long to know more and more of God's presence? Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Is that your prayer? That God would return again and again and pour out his love into your life. That in all the trials and problems of life, you still might rejoice and be glad. Do you pray that God might pour out his love and his mercy and his presence? Not in a mediocre way, but in an abundant way. Lord, Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us. What would we be like as God's people of his favour dwelt upon us this week? That if he came down in reviving power and stirred us again with, with views of himself and of his glory and of his grace and of his son. Though our lives are so long, so short, uh, do you long for God to establish the works of your hands, to make them worthwhile? Do you long to be something of value to those who follow? Lord, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We can pray for the generation to come, but we need to work for the generation to come, that they can take up the reins when we have left this stage. For God is a dwelling place to all generations. At the moment, I'm sure... As grandparents and parents, there are fears in your heart for what our children and young people are growing up into. But God is the same God. And if we will pray to him, surely we can believe 
he will answer us. If we took these prayers every time we met as churches, what transformation might take place in our day and age? Well, may God grant us to be such a people in these days. Amen.